gospel. And before I uh, reflect with you further on this passage, let me pray for us and ask for God's help in understanding it. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, We do pray as we have just sung. uh, Speak, O Lord. Uh, May your word dwell in us and richly uh, transform us and change us, we pray, to be the people you want us to be. So please, may your spirit help us to that end this morning, we ask. Amen. In 2007, uh, Ian's life was empty and at rock bottom. His drinking and his use of recreational drugs was threatening not only his health, but his marriage and his young family. But through a series of remarkable coincidences, uh, Ian was introduced to the writings of C.S. Lewis. And it was to set Ian off on a journey of discovery. Uh, His heart was hungry for meaning. Uh, Could there be an answer to this most basic, almost childish question, why? Why are we here? What is life all about? Uh, Ian had not grown up in a Christian family and he had no church background whatsoever. So in that sense, uh, he was coming from way, way back, but he still had these questions in his heart. Uh, Four years later, we pick up on Ian's story and I will read from his own words. Everything I was reading now was impressing upon me the importance of belonging to a community of other Christians. Uh, He's not a Christian at this stage himself, but he's, he's in that headspace. The community would help you avoid you heading the wrong direction or getting the wrong idea. The idea of going to a church filled me with dread. Those do-gooders, hypocrite types, the constant media coverage of paedophile priests. I made no distinction between denominations. They were all as bad as one another. I wouldn't touch any of them with a 10-foot barge pole. But God, through his inexhaustible grace towards me, had other ideas. One day in 2011, uh, during my lunch break, I took the plunge and attended a lunchtime service at a church in the CBD. I used to walk past it every day to get lunch. I thought I would hide at the back and sneak out a few minutes before the sermon ended so that the priest guy couldn't catch me. Well, it wasn't what I expected. Uh, The preacher talked about his father's passing in a measured and heartfelt way and how ultimately the gospel message will defeat death. Hey, this guy looks normal, I thought. He hasn't got two heads. He's wearing a, a smart suit, no robes or weird paraphernalia hanging off him. My attempt to escape at the end of the sermon was thwarted by the keen-eyed preacher who introduced himself and asked a few basic questions about me and where I worked. Uh, did I fancy a coffee next time I was in, he was in the city? Well, I continued to meet him for coffee over the next few months where he faithfully explained the gospel to me and the atoning death of Jesus and what that meant for me. The final decision wasn't taken lightly. It was something I seriously considered. I spoke at length to him about the costs and responsibilities of turning my life over to Christ. If I did have a chance to turn things around, to have a second chance at life, to keep my marriage, then I wanted to be clear and understand exactly 
how I should do it correctly. Although this man was preaching in the city, he was also associated with another church quite close to where I lived in Chatswood. He asked me to join him a few times for their Sunday morning service. Although reluctant, I obliged him. I was surprised at the outcome. Wow, these people were so welcoming and loving. They came up to me one after the other and engaged in conversation. They invited me into their homes for dinner. They made a real fuss of my daughters, Evie, and made us feel so welcome. I didn't recognize this church. Where was the church the popular media loved to ridicule? Where was the church of hypocrites and power-hungry priests trying to get money out of you? Not here, that's for sure. Well, uh, Ian's story provides a window into God's powerful, transforming work in a person's life. And I had the privilege of being part of it. Uh, the keen-eyed preacher guy was actually me. And I was running the lunchtime services at Scott's in the city in 2011. And to this day, uh, Ian is still going on with the Lord, continuing in his faith, uh, although he's now living back in the UK. Ian was such an incredible encouragement to me. To see God at work left me with a deep sense of privilege and joy. Uh, some years later, in 2014, I experienced that same joy again, but in a different context. Uh, I was on my way home. Uh, it was early Friday evening, and it was dark. And as I drove through Thornley, I passed the property of a guy who was in the process of clearing his house. Now, Tracy and myself had spoken to him a few weeks earlier. Uh, at the time, uh, we had been drawn to a very tantalizing skip in, front, in his front garden, full of uh, lots of loot and discarded goodies. And as a result, we had struck up a conversation with him a few weeks earlier. But now, as I drove past the house, I felt an inner prompting, almost a voice to stop and to see if he was in. Well, I couldn't see any lights on in the property, but I knocked on the front door anyway. And as it happened, Todd was in. And what's more, he said he had just been thinking about me. How weird is that? He invited me in, uh, and we had this amazing, wide-ranging conversation, which touched in, on topics including uh, his view of spirituality and God. Uh, 30 minutes later, when I left, I felt that I had been part of a divinely ordained meeting. I had this palpable joy in my heart. It was the thrill of seeing God at work. Uh, we don't have an ongoing contact with Todd, but I am sure that conversation will be a significant part of his journey. And I've had that same joy of seeing God at work amidst our own church community here. Uh, seeing Sophie come to faith. What a wonderful journey that's been. And of course, uh, with Nicole coming to our church and coming to faith and then seeing her grow. It has given me a deep thrill and a joy in my heart. You see, there is a great joy when God uses us and works through us in his kingdom work. And I know many of you have your own stories of such joy to tell. And it is with a similar elation 
that the 72 return from their first mission venture. And no doubt they had experienced some rejection, just as Jesus had forewarned them. However, any such disappointments were by far outweighed by their successes. Verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. Uh, clearly, their successes had not been limited just to exorcisms. Uh, of course, they had proclaimed the message of peace through God's kingdom and Christ's kingdom. Uh, and their word had been authenticated by deed, both healing the sick as well as driving out evil spirits. As a result, people had welcomed them into their homes and into their villages. Uh, maybe when they said, even the demons submitted to us in your name, uh, they were particularly mindful of the previous failures of the 12 recorded in chapter 9, if you recall. Uh, due to their faithlessness, they had been unable to cast out a demon from a boy. And in the end, his father had to bring him to Jesus for deliverance. Had the 12, the, had the 72 healed the, heeded the lesson and remained more humbly dependent on Christ to work through them. And Jesus' response confirms that the 72 had indeed made positive inroads into pushing back the kingdom of darkness. Verse 18. He replied, this is Jesus, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Now, Satan falling like lightning from heaven is a way of describing his dramatic loss of power as the 72 have ministered with the authority of Christ. Uh, it's actually drawing on an image used in Isaiah describing the spectacular demise of wicked, ruthless, conquering pagan rulers. Uh, Isaiah 14 verse 12 says this of these pagan rulers. Uh, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. In the Bible, uh, snakes and scorpions are symbols of evil. Uh, recall in Genesis chapter 3, Satan is described as a serpent. But now with the coming of Christ's kingdom, the promised crushing of the serpent's head has started. In Christ's powerful name, the 72 have the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. The point is this, as we participate in ministry and mission, trusting in Christ's power and authority, there will be occasions where we will actually see God at work, positive progress. And as a result, we will experience joy as we see God working amongst us and even through us. Uh, or to put the point negatively, uh, if we don't reach out in ministry and mission, we are denying ourselves a source of joy in the Christian life. Uh, there are various reasons why we may not reach out to people with the gospel. Uh, maybe we don't want to risk rejection. 
or the inconvenience or the demands on our time. Maybe we'd prefer to lead a quiet life where our cocoon is not disturbed. We opt to stay within our comfort zone. But in so doing, our hearts become joyless and loveless. I was impressed by a link that Tim Keller made between mission and a famous quote by C.S. Lewis from his paper, The Four Loves. Uh, Keller's thesis was that the dimmer our ministry and mission heart, the dimmer our gospel joy. Uh, To reach out to somebody with gospel intent is actually an act of love. And just like any act of love, it renders us vulnerable to pain. But to choose not to love doesn't protect our hearts from pain, but also ultimately calcifies our hearts. Uh, here's the quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, You must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable irredeemable. So love is to be vulnerable. It's a powerful quote and a powerful insight. If you don't want your heart broken, uh, don't participate in ministry and mission. Don't reach out, play safe. Ministering to people and meeting their needs is personally costly, but in pulling back, we pay the price in our Christian lives, for our hearts become hard and joyless. So, uh, the first joy presented to us in this passage is the joy of seeing God at work through us. However, there are two more joys to come, and the second joy is the joy of our identity in Christ as citizens of heaven and loved children of God. Uh, Jesus continues, verse 20. However, he says to the 72, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, at first reading, it seems that Jesus is rebuking them for their joy of ministry success. However, as we're going to see in verse 21, Jesus himself is joyful at the evidence of God's work in people's lives through the gospel. No, the point Jesus is making is by way of contrast. Uh, He's making a comparison by way of an apparent negation. Uh, He is pointing to an even greater source of joy, the deeper joy of having everlasting life. Uh, Maybe the intent of the verse becomes a bit clearer by inserting the word just. Uh, For example, Jesus would be saying to them, however, uh, do not just rejoice that the Spirit submit to you. 
but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You see, the point is, there is an ongoing, continuous, baseline joy that comes from knowing we are Christ's. We have everlasting life. We are citizens of heaven. We are loved children of the Father. You see, if all our joy uh, comes from ministry successes, what happens during those periods when we have no successes? What if Jesus calls us to labor faithfully without any immediate fruit for our labors? Uh, There was three years between my involvement with Ian and Todd, and another few years between uh, Todd and Sophie and Nicole. Our Christian joy is not primarily grounded in our results, in our successes, in the encouragements we see happening around us. It's grounded in our status as loved children of God. And that is the baseline joy that keeps us going every step of the way. And then uh, in verse 21, we are confronted with a third joy the joy at the wisdom and the wonder of the gospel. Uh, This time the joy is Jesus's. It's actually the only time we're actually told of Jesus' joy of heart in the whole Bible. And as we see, uh, Jesus excitedly bursts forth with a prayer of praise, verse 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you. Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Well, of course, the wise and learned uh, were the Christ-rejecting, hard-hearted religious authorities of Jesus' day. And the little children, in context, are those who have accepted Jesus with a humble childlike dependence. Now, at the very least, Jesus is referring to the 72, but maybe also to those who've responded positively to the message of the 72. And Jesus' joy is at seeing the evidence of the Father at work, both in hiding and judging, but also in revealing and saving. As an act of judgment against their proud, arrogant hard-heartedness, The Father has hidden the truth of the gospel from the wise and the learned. In fact, as an act of gracious salvation, the Father has revealed the truth of the gospel to those otherwise unimpressive, childlike characters. (laughs) And did you notice that not only is Jesus joyful, but also so is the Father. The hiding, the revealing, was for the Father's Good pleasure for his joy. Isn't the gospel wonderful? Isn't the wisdom of the gospel infathomable? Could any human being have thought this up, have made this up? We couldn't. The gospel is wonderful. Have you praised God lately for the wisdom and the wonder of the gospel? And finally, having praised the Father for revealing Himself to children, 
Jesus next praises the Father for making him the source of salvation. So he's continuing in his, his attitude of praise and prayer at the wonder of the gospel. Verse 22. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. And no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. You see the point? Jesus is the sole sovereign dispenser of the knowledge of God the Father to those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. It's not dependent on us, but God working through us. Uh, it's a timely truth that holds any joys we have at ministry successes in check. Because gospel progress is all of God's doing. Through the Son, the Father reveals or hides. You see, the big danger uh, when we engage in ministry and mission is when we have successes, it's the big danger of pride. Rather than being humbly grateful that God has worked through us, we may start to proudly think the success is due to our own wisdom or our own giftedness. In the case of some of those examples earlier where I shared with you that I had been particularly instrumental in their life and their coming to faith, particularly uh, Ian, uh, that was a case where I was just the final link in the chain. He'd been on that journey since 2007. I met him in 2011, and I had the privilege of being involved in the final stage of Christ drawing him to faith. It was all God's work in Ian's life, and I was merely the vessel which God used. And so all the glory and all the credit must go to God. We are merely the vessels that he uses. But as the vessels, we can share in the Father's and in Jesus' joy and their good pleasure when they see people coming to Christ and growing in their relationship with him. The last thing Jesus says in our passage today is the privilege of witnessing the coming of God's kingdom. Now, finally, Jesus does turn from praying to the Father to address his disciples in verse 23. Then he turns to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see but did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. As the 72 witnessed the power of Christ trampling on the forces of evil through their ministry, the long-promised crushing of the serpent's head had started. And with their own eyes and ears, the 72 were witnessing salvation history being made. All the promises and prophecies of the prior centuries were coming to fulfillment, and it was an incredible privilege. Uh, for us, living on this side of the cross, we have an even greater privilege, even more so than the disciples to whom Jesus first uttered those words. 
For we can now see the final crushing of Satan and his power through Christ's death and resurrection. And what's more, through the Great Commission, we have the privilege of participating in the kingdom's growth and the further contraction of Satan's domain. And we have the privilege of the Spirit indwelling us and encouraging us and prompting us to go and knock on people's doors sometimes and do things which would otherwise seem crazy. So let's keep praising God for the wisdom and wonder of the gospel. Uh, Let's be sensitive to God's Spirit's leading and His prompting. And let's keep thanking God for His work in us For we are saved by grace and not by our intellect or smartness. We're only in the kingdom because the Son has chosen to reveal himself to us. And let's keep engaging in ministry and mission, bearing the cost and pushing out of our comfort zones. Keep going when times are barren, knowing that we will also have times of joy when we see God working in us and through us. I'm going to pray for us now, and then I'll open up to a time for comments and questions. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for these profound words that Jesus uttered to the 72 that tells us of these three joys of the gospel. Uh, Please, we pray, help us to have an increasingly deep sense of wonder and worship at the gospel and our privilege of being part of your kingdom through your work in us. And please also give us a deeper sense of joy as we see you working through us. We know that won't be the norm, and there will be periods when we will just have to keep laboring in the harvest fields, not seeing the immediate fruits of our labors. But please also give us times where we can glimpse your hand at work through us. And may we be encouraged, therefore, to keep going, knowing that you are the powerful God who is fulfilling his good purposes in the world for his glory. Amen.